Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Oh, here we go, boys. Go. Love that sound. This is a good one. All right, well, we have a this is like hot off the press story. Phil called and he's like, I have a story, and if I don't get it out, <laughs> the way he made it sound was like. I don't know. I had like code brown in my head. So like I don't we don't need any accidents while driving. So uh indifferent with that being said, welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors podcast. Joining me yet again is Mr. Philip Schmidt. I'm Dale Lugabell. Phil, the floor is yours. <clears throat> okay. As many of you know, uh you know, I like to do a lot of predator calling in many of the states in my travels and uh in this in this case, I was uh, I was in Central Arizona. If any of you have seen the movie Fire in the Sky, Dale, yes, have you seen that yes. incredible, awesome movie? That movie is just incredible. And I've listened to the Joe Rogan podcast with uh, Travis Walton, and it's very, very convincing. Did you like, have an experience? Is this not well, about coyotes? Is this about aliens? All right, Star, I'll stop. I'll stop. I, I wish, <laughs> I wish. So I, I do, I do spend a lot of time in the wilderness, in the area where you know Snowflake and Herber, Arizona, where that whole event took place. And yeah, you're damn right. When I'm out there, I just want to see <laughs> something awesome, you know. And I'm, I, I always have hope when I go out there, you know. Anyways, I was in that area, and. Um, <sighs> I woke up in the morning, and I was in a canyon. Um, 
And this is, uh, it's an incredible place. Every view is incredible. It doesn't matter what direction you're looking. It's just an incredible, awesome, magnificent area of the world. And um, so I've, I've hunted this, this area one time in my life. It was actually this year. And uh, I kind of had an idea when the sun comes up tomorrow morning, I kind of have an idea of where I want to sit now that I have a better layout of this landscape and the property. Kind of have a better idea of where I want to sit. I'll be able to make one set. I hope to make the set at first light. So I wake up the next morning. Uh, I uh, grab my long gun, Uji Bastard, which is my custom 2250. And then also, uh, this just feels like lion country. So I always bring a sidearm with me. I, I rarely bring a sidearm with me, but in there, in certain areas, I always bring, you know, in certain areas, I bring a sidearm with me because it's just too tight. You know, like I'm walking in areas that I feel are a little creepy, you know, like, and mountain lions, honestly, they're kind of one of those things that I don't understand. So I'm still afraid of them, just like sharks. I'm not swimming the sharks ever. <laughs> so I get out going to where I want to go, and this, the, the canyon wall that I'm trying to sit on, it's, it's steeper and slidier than I was expecting. So it's taking me longer to get into position than I wanted, and I'm starting to get really warm. And I do find a position that it's not good, but it is good enough. And I place the collar out about 10 steps in front of me, and this is not... This is like, I, I, I said bougie bastard just next to me because I can see the opposite wall of the canyon and down below me, the creek bottom, the river bottom, which is actually dry, it curves out and away from me to my left. So if I look to my left where the canyon curves, I can actually see my side of the canyon too a little bit, but I can see everything across the canyon. So I'm like, well, if anything shows up in either of those two places, I will have a shot opportunity. But if anything comes in on my side of the canyon undetected, I'm not going to see it until it is at the collar. And I'm going to have such a short window to do anything about it because it's such tight quarters. I just take my sidearm and I, I just lay it on my knees and I just point basically at the collar. And I'm like, ooh. Once again, you know, here I am in a, like, a low, it's just not the highest opportunity. Like, there's a good chance I'll see something if it comes in, but getting it killed is, you know, for example, like, I sat in position, and I was like, this ain't going to work. So I repositioned, found a completely different spot. That didn't work. Then my third spot was the steadiest for getting the shot, but it was the worst hide like, I just stuck out like a sore thumb, but it was a little bit on a level piece of ground where I could, you know, have the rifle with the, with the bipod somewhat steady. And I was able to just rest my hands on my knees with the sidearm just aiming towards the collar. And I'm just, I'm just praying for a red fox, or sorry, a gray fox. I've never gotten one of those. And this is, this is totally gray fox country, you know. So, I start calling, everything's in position, um, start calling, start calling, start calling, I think I was maybe on my fourth sound, 
and I look to my left, and on my side of the canyon, I see on one of the rock outcroppings, there's a pretty tall, pretty wide wooden fence post that absolutely does not belong there in front of one of the pine trees. And I'm looking at it, I'm waiting for it to move. A lot of times when I spot a coyote on set, I wait. You know, if I don't know if it, whatever it is, if I don't know if it has a heartbeat, I just wait for it to move because if you're patient enough, it's going to move. Well, it, it didn't move. And I'm like, that that is for sure something though. Um, and I'm like, I, I think there's a pretty good chance in the bobcat. So I grabbed my rangefinder out of my side pocket, my chest pocket. I get on it with the rangefinder. It's a it's a sick it's a six hour kilo twenty two hundred. It's a very uh, low power binocular rangefinder. I get on it and I'm just looking for spots because if it's a bobcat, like I'm I'm done killing bobcats. Like I got my bobcat when I lived in Nevada and. Uh, when I'm out there, there's really not much I can do with these critters, like for transportation. And Bobcat's fur has a lot of value still, and I'm just not gonna take from the local trappers Bobcat money. You know what I mean? Sure. I mean, that's a choice, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've got a, I've got a, a close friend who's a Bobcat trapper, and he, you know, he's, his, his annual check is between ten and fifteen thousand dollars. So I just I'm always thinking oh, of him wow. when a bobcat he, shows up, you he know. He really does it. He he he's a pretty incredible individual. So anyways, um I get the rangefinder on it and I'm looking for spots. Oh, that's that's a coyote. No spots, like that's a coyote. And I range it at two hundred and seventy two yards. Um this this is what I'm gonna kill. So I turn my rifle to the left, and I cannot get a steady shooting position with the, with the bipod extended at full length. And like the ground is just way too uneven, and I'm trying. And this critter is like tolerating all my movements, and this is not like a coyote, you know. And all of this didn't really sink in until after the whole thing was over with. And uh, but this coyote is just watching me get into position, you know, from about 300 yards away, I'm like, whatever, you just keep, you just stay there, buddy. You know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm close to trigger time. You just keep, just, just keep looking at me, whatever. So I finally retract the bipod to its shortest, you know, and, and, and get into the prone position. I'm able to get into the prone position and I get the critter back in, in the Leopold, uh, my loopy. Uh, and all of my all of my rifle scopes are parked at six and a half power, and I get it in the loopy, and I am looking at a mountain lion. Holy shit! This is the first mountain lion I've ever seen in my entire life. That's awesome, dude. <laughs> and I am in I am in the dark part of the canyon. The sun isn't touching me yet. You know, it's, I'm going to be in the shadows for another 45 minutes. And this magnificent regal critter, I mean, absolutely stunning, is sitting on a rock ledge in the sun. Like, that, that part of the canyon was actually exposed to the sun. So I turned Le the Leopold up all the way 
Uh, it's a Leopold VX3 HD. And never in my life have I appreciated the quality of the glass of a Leopold rifle scope as much as I was appreciating at this time. I turned it all the way up to 10 power. And I mean, I was counting whiskers like this was. Wow. Just, you know, and and I have the collar going. And meanwhile, I, I, I decide that I guess I don't really want to call this critter <laughs> in. Yeah. So I turn the collar off, <laughs> and I'm just laying there, and, I mean, Dale, time is standing still. Like, this is just the coolest thing that's maybe ever happened to me, okay? That's like, and I've had, awesome. I've had so much time to process this, and it's just such an amazing experience, you know? And I wanted it so bad, but I know that. A lot of the states, you know, like in all of the hunting that I do in all of the states, like there are so many laws. Some of them are black and white. Others are very gray area. Like it just makes your head spin. So me playing it more safe than sorry, I decided that I'm just not going to shoot it because I don't know the specifics here. You know, so I'm just going to, I know where this critter is. If I want to come back. You know, I can come back knowing that there's at least one mountain lion in this area. Right. But I just spend all the time in the world. And, you know, I probably was in the in this critter's presence for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. Maybe realistically, it was, you know, shorter time than that. But it just felt like a long time because it was just, I don't know. Like I said, time stood still. It was just... Me and the lion, you know? That's pretty Nothing awesome. else in the world existed. When you shut the sound off, what was his reaction? He didn't react at all to anything. Hmm. Just he eventually, eventually just walked off? No, eventually, he just, he just circled and fucking laid back down right in the wide open huh. on the side of that cliff. Oh, he's just chilling. Yep. Not, and, and all of the research, because I have done quite a bit of research on lions, is that is very, very typical of their characteristics and their character because they are the apex predator. And they just don't give a shit. Well, you know, at the end of the day, it's a cat, right? Like, what you described just sounds like a house cat. You know what I mean? Like, it's just sitting yeah. there because it's got nothing better to do. And so it's just sitting there checking stuff out. And it's just basking in the rays of the sun, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to lay down. Like, eating's not really on its mind. Fighting, your territory, he's just he's just chilling. I mean, that just sounds like cat behavior. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Right, right. You could have, if you had but a laser pointer, you probably could have fucked with him a little bit. But <laughs> Oh, that would have been so much fun. That's one of my dreams, to do that to coyotes, actually. Um, so anyways, now, did I call him in? I don't know. Right. Was he laying there when I showed up? I don't know, but I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna reluctantly tell people that I called in a mountain lion. You know I what mean, I mean? Just like it doesn't matter. I had a close encounter with one. It's right. it's close enough. Dude, like how many? Not very many people get to say that. Like when they're out in the wild, just like chance see a mountain lion. You know that like. I mean, I haven't spent really any quality time in the West. I guess well, not really. I drove through it. I haven't really spent time like out in it so i've never seen one and 
I have spent a lot of quality time out west, and I am certain that I've called in mountain lions. I've just never seen you, one. Right, that's possible too. So I, did you? I don't know how many mountain lions have seen me, but I've only <laughs> seen one of them. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, yeah, that's fair. Um, did you look into like the Arizona regulations? Is there a season? Is there a tag? I'm, what is... I'm, I'm going. Yep, I'm, that's a great question. I'm going to get into that All as right. I'm laying there, and this mountain lion is laying down, and I'm like, okay, I start to feel like, wait a second, <laughs> I'm laying down, and there's at least one mountain lion here. Does she have buddies around? Is that is that a female? Does she have kittens? Like. I'm like, I start kind of looking around slowly, like, I think it's time for me to leave. Like, I'm laying down. I look down at my collar. I'm like, okay, there's no mountain lions down at the collar, so that's good, because it's only eight steps away. You know, I've been so focused on this mountain lion, I have not been watching my surroundings at all. And now that now that it's laying down sleeping, I'm like, okay, I think it's time for me to good, that you know, it's time for me to, to vacate. Like, this is a fun, awesome experience, and I can come back. And So... I did come down off the cliff, or I, I came down off the canyon wall, and I got back down into the dry creek bottom. I walked back to the semi-truck, and I had zero cell service here. So it wasn't like I could look up the laws and be like, dude, I can legally take this thing. Like, I can buy a tag right now. I couldn't do anything. I had zero service, sure. right? So I got I got out of the canyon, you know, and I it wasn't, I mean, shit. 30 miles or something down the road where I finally had service and I looked up the laws and for a non-resident to legally shoot a mountain lion in the state of Arizona, 75 stupid dollars. For 75? A 75 stupid dollars for a mountain lion tag. For a non-resident. For residents, it's $15. What? Is there, yeah. a, is there a quota or is there just a season? Yes, or? There, there is a quota. They... It's a very, it's a very, um, trying to think of a word. It's regulated, very regulated. Now, here's the confusing part. It's very regulated, and there is a quota, but their mountain lion season, Dale, is nine months long. Well, you don't really hear people when you talk about um, cat hunters, like really, I don't really hear Arizona mentioned much. Um, I agree. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I, obviously, I, I know they're there, and I guess when I think of people hunting lions, I probably think of more like up, Montana, you know. Montana, maybe? Well, no, I mean, even in Arizona, but I'm thinking more like Flagstaff, you know, up in the mountains area. Oh, I see. You I know, see. stuff like that. Kind of, that's kind of, I always think of like cats in the snow, you know, chasing with dog, you know, running yes. dogs through the snow after lions. Like, that's lion hunting to me um, in my limited experience, just what I, you know. And Arizona has a non it's called a it's called a pursuit only tag. So if you want to go and run mountain lions with your dogs, oh, and not kill them, you, you can just run them. Correct, correct. I'm like, holy shit, this is really interesting stuff. Hmm. You know, when I really started digging into all that, and then I got into it more. Like, okay, you know, because I know as soon as I go through the efforts to legally harvest a mountain lion i'm never gonna see one again i mean i'm <laughs> it took me 44 years to see a mountain lion you know and i started True. thinking of all the possibilities also and if you harvest the mountain lion there's a mandatory registration and like okay if i have my semi truck like how would i 
I can't. <laughs> I have really no way to transport this lion anywhere. Like, I can't break the seal on my trailer and throw it in the trailer. They're going to reject the load. Right, you know? right, yeah, and yeah, how, yeah. How can I get this mountain lion registered? And also, you have to call ahead of time. If you're going to go lion hunting, you have to call ahead of time and make sure that the zone you're hunting in hasn't reached their quota. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. It's like, sense. I just don't, I just can't maneuver like this. Right. You know, I'm, I'm stuck in the semi-truck, and, you know, I have incredible memories, but I'm limited to what I'm capable of doing. Wow. Need a, you need a network of, of homies. Yes. Like, hey, <laughs> you know, I mean, 75 bucks is like, I feel like it's a cheap insurance policy. Like, get it every year for the just-in-case you know, and then work out yeah. the details later. And you're like, you may never see one again, but what I wanted to say to that is like, you've never, you were never really looking for them though, either. That's you know, correct. It's that whole yeah, adage of, you know, sometimes you got to look for something to find it. And I know it sounds stupid, but you train your eyes, you train your brain and your brain filters everything else out. So if you're looking for coyotes, you're only looking for stuff that looks like a coyote. And that's know? what I thought this line was when I seen it originally. Mm-hmm. You know, remember that part of the story where I'm like, yeah. I know there's mountain lions. I feel like there's mountain lions around here. And I looked at one and I still thought it was a coyote deal. Yeah, because it, just because my brain was not there. Right. Exactly. So now that like now that you kind of have that, especially in that area, if you ever especially hunt, especially in that area, I'm never going to forget that. Ever. <laughs> yeah. If you hunt that area again, I mean, the lions have a pretty big range, so it's still going to be like, holy crap, to see that cat again is it's would be not, not going to happen. Would it be pretty <laughs> substantial? I mean, it might. You never know. I mean, sure, sure. Especially sure. if you can kind of recreate that scenario. If you remember well enough, the weather conditions and that morning light and that—that's probably that lion's favorite morning rock. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't be surprised. Correct. You know, when conditions are are favorable for you know the wind direction, temperature, light angle, all of it. You know, this time of year. You know, if you can recreate that, I mean, I think you put odds in. Well, I don't know if I can say put them in your favor, but you might up them a little bit, you know, um, more so than just random encounters anyways. But that's right, cool, right. dude. I've thought about I've thought about lion hunting like it's an interesting because it's just so different. Right. You know, because they're running them with dogs, deep snow. And then, you know, they, they, they put them in these trees and you scope them out and then, you know, you shoot them, whether it's a rifle or a bow or whatever. And then they just fall right out. Of the, and then they just fall out of the tree. And some people are like, "That doesn't seem like hunting." Well, the cool thing about that is the people that I've I've heard stories from. They're like, "It's so intense, you just can't even believe it," you know. And the good thing about treeing them is that you can just pick toms. You know, you you tree a cat. There's, there are so many benefits to that style. You know, there are so many benefits, and that that is the main one. You know. Yeah, you you tree a cat. You get a good look at it. Size-wise, you can sex it. You're like, yep, that's a big tom. Let's take that. Let's take that animal. And so, and you know, you know before you tree it, like you only drop your dogs on big tracks. Right, right. You right. know, if it's a kitten or a small cat, you don't even bother. You know, right. And then a lot of it is just like you know the dogs working the dogs, like watching them. Well, you can't. It's hard to really watch them because they're running so far ahead of you. You're listening on sound, you know, mostly. Yeah, but and watching, that, watching your radar that, or whatever. That experience, you know, just hearing their barks and hearing their barks change in tone when they're on when they're on a cat, and the excitement that that builds. And it sounds like it's just 
physically grueling, you know, because that cat can go anywhere it wants. And you've got to get to it somehow once they tree it. And that's through deep snow, up and around draws and cliffs and, you know. like That's the struggle. That right there is the struggle. <laughs> so the people on the outside, they might be like, well, what's so sporting about shooting a cat out of a tree? It's like the cat out of the tree part, that is like so minuscule of the entire hunt. It's it's laughable. That's the finish line. Yeah, yeah not to mention how many, how many just failed um, chases there was. You, you know, like all the dogs lost it or – you know, you can do all of that work we just said. Get there and like, ah, it's a, a young male or it's a female. Get the dogs back to the drawing board. You know, drive right, around right. for days and not even cut a track. You know, it's like, it's it's it just it gives like, like a false impression. But it, it does look. It is something I would like to do, and I guess if I want to do it, I probably really gotta make up my mind of how badly I want to do it. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not getting any younger, and trouncing through that snow is a lot of work. So it would be pretty wild. But then it's like, okay, what do I do with it once I get it? You know, now you got to look at, all right. Gonna, I want my, the skull. Yeah. I want to make a necklace out of the claws. Like, I've, I've, I've spent a ton of time, Dale, thinking about what would I do with a mountain lion. Because, you know, I've a lot of them. You know, when I lived there for five years, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, okay, so what do we do with mountain lions? You know, the first not worth anything. What they told me is that a lot of people just sell them to taxidermists. Yeah. They just sell them to taxidermists, and, like, you can still get the skull, and you still get the claws, or maybe not the claws, but you get the skull. You know, I'm like, well, since then, I've always just wanted a mountain lion skull. Right. I mean, a mountain lion mount would be – they're cool when you see them, if they're done well anyways, but – yeah. I know, it's like I really want one in my house. You know what I mean? They take up so much space, man. And and the skulls, to me – are cool. I've always had a thing with like critter skulls, you know. Yes. Um, I've cleaned up. I had one hunt where I took um, all three subspecies of light goose. I had a Ross, a lesser, and a greater. And and it's never more evident than when I clean the skulls up because that greater skull is not quite twice the size of that lesser skull, but about one and a half size bigger times okay. bigger yeah like, it's very obvious noticeably bigger like, yeah, it's very like, obvious holy <laughs> smokes this is a giant goose well i mean as soon as i got my hands on, i was like i think this is a greater because there's a few times you shoot like a large lesser and you're like i wonder if this is a greater until you shoot a greater and you're like oh this is what a greater looks like, <laughs> like yeah, right there's right. no questioning it's just like yep that's a greater this thing is massive and i've i've uh, been a part of like three of them in the the central flyway here but um not get back on track so there's cool and i have them you know set up on a little well right now they're in a box but when i when i have a more permanent residence i'll you know i usually display them and they're you know little medium big and they're just it's cool and you can pick them up and look at them and look all the intricate you know whatever and i just i i like doing that it's just it's a lot of fun mm-hmm. but i would like i think just a, a like i said a cat skull nice euro you know really nice well done yes definitely know, ivory white just that would be really cool and that's all you really need to re- appreciate and remember that hunt you know as your trophy i don't I wouldn't need that full I, body thing i think the the claws would be really cool to have you know like i said a, a necklace yeah, put like on a necklace yes mm-hmm. yes that'd be so cool yeah. man that would be really neat and i've heard that they taste very good. That it's I've very similar to wild thing. pork. Yeah. I've heard the same thing. 
it seems weird to eat a cat, but I mean, I would. I've heard nothing but good things, and that's the same thing that I've ever heard about like people um, with beaver. And it finally made me so I wasn't like all that big into like trapping beaver or whatever, but I kept hearing how good the meat was from people that have had it. And it's like there's only two camps: there are people that rave about beaver meat, and then there's people that haven't tried it. So I was like, I gotta go out. So I, the one spring, I did some spring trapping. I was able to get a beaver. Brought it back, cleaned it up, and it is phenomenal. So with that said, that goes back to the cat stuff. I've only ever heard people that have tried mountain lion that rave about it. I've yet to hear a story where someone's like, yeah, I tried it, and it was kind of stringy, kind of, you know, it wasn't all that good. No, they always rave about it. So yep, it's like a hundred percent success rate. People who eat mountain lions are just hot. yeah. So I was like, <laughs> I have to, I have to remove that like feline prejudice from my head as far as like they're not table fare, you know. And it is. It's such a. It's just a mental game, and I know that even as I'm ta- saying this right now, like I'm fighting my natural brain instinct is kind of like recoil a little bit. It's like ah, that's a cat, dude. Like that's a predator. Like what? Huh? But you know, bears are predators. Bears are really good. You know, oh so. my God, they're incredible. Well, black bears, anyways. I haven't really heard anybody say great things about uh, brown bears, but black bears are I have delicious. To, I have to thank Chris Lee for that, just because he brought he brought bear snakes to Snow Goose Camp, and holy mm. shit! You know, I've never had a bear steak. I've only had it like roast, and I've heard people that make sausage because they're really fatty. Apparently, I haven't I haven't oh, killed a bear okay. yet. But I have, I've always wondered, you know, and I'm like, well, why wouldn't you want just a fatty steak, you know, like a ribeye, you know, like, give me, I want, like, I, for whatever reason, and maybe people do, and I just haven't heard it, I haven't heard of people, you're the first person that's ever said, like, oh, we had bear steak. Oh, okay. It's always, okay. they always slow roast it, you know, it's like pulled, you know, pulled bear meat, basically, barbecues, whatever, or they turn it into sausage, so. So it was Chris's turn to cook that night, and yeah, he got out of the cooler with fresh bear steaks and, oh. and also bear burger. Oh, okay. And wow. I, I ate one bear burger and I had like three bear steaks. Dale, I could live on it. It <laughs> yeah. was so incredible. Yeah, I need to, yeah. Well, that's, again, I need to put that on the uh, up the priority list on the bear hunt. I really would like to get a bear. And the same thing, I would like to get a good sized bear. You know, it's not to be trophy by any stretch of the imagination, but just, a, you know, a good representation of the species. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't want a 150-pound little young bear. You know, give me something, you know, closer to 250. You know, 300 would be great, but, you know, 250, okay. somewhere in that range, I think would be acceptable for me. I don't, not shaming anybody that takes smaller bears. I'm just, that's what I would like. And then just the head, you know. It's like, I mean, I don't know, maybe my first bear, I might rug it. You know, that's one thing. Rugs are the kind of cool. But, like, people that are, like, serious bear hunters, like, what do you do after the first one? Like, how many bear rugs do you want? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, Yeah. But it also seems like a resource. It's like that hide and that fur, like, it seems like a waste to just dump it. You know what I mean? I guess you could sell that to a taxidermist or something. It, it just seems like a complete waste, unless the hide is all ratty and not good anyways. You know, but. I i got to ask Chris because I believe it was last year or two years ago, it had to have been the state record black bear that he took. What state? Minnesota. 600-pounder. Holy Moses, that's a big one. And he didn't realize how big it was because he he did some long-range shooting. That bear absorbed three rounds. From a 6.5 Creedmoor wow. until it finally expired. And they're, they were all good shots, too. 
That's pretty incredible because they're, bears aren't – they're not the toughest animals when it comes to shooting them. They, like – you ever see, like, videos of people bow hunting them? It's like that arrow zips right through them like no problem. Um, their hides are not very tough. But uh, that big of a bear might have had a lot of fat. Big, you know – I, I really can't speak on this because I have zero experience with bears, but yeah, that, that was pretty incredible to me that, you know, Chris is a, he's an incredible shot, you know, like he's, he's one of my predator calling buddies and our standards for accuracy are quite a bit higher than your average Joe deer hunter, right? Because right. our targets, you know, our coyotes, they're, they're one third or one quarter the size of a deer, you know, they're one quarter, maybe some of them are even an eighth they're just a smaller target. You know, you're comparing a 30-pound target to a 120-pound target. So our standards for accuracy just has to be a lot higher. And this is a gigantic bear. I mean, he plays solid shots perfectly. And it, it just took that much to get this bear to finally fucking go to sleep. <laughs> it was a very long process. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. It's, it's why this bear isn't dying. They walked up to it and he was like, holy shit. And they got it on the scale, and it was it weighed over 600 pounds. Wow. Yeah, it might be. Because I know, so early on in the Full Skelters podcast, I had, I don't remember. Hale, I got a way station I have to pull into. I'll oh, cover. Yeah, so I will much. call you right back. Yeah, <laughs> All I'll right. I'll call you right back.
Did you come in all good? Yep, we're good. Hey. Oh, I have deer out in my yard. Bears. All right. Where are we at? Bears. Bears. We're talking about bears. Uh, yeah, so like the hide wise, it's like I just didn't know. Oh, that's where I was going to go. Now I actually, now I'm back to square one. So what I was going to say is early on in the podcast, um, I had uh, the episode is no longer up because I took it down. But I don't know if you remember this. Some guy shot what would have been the state record bear was over 700 pounds. In Minnesota? In Minnesota. I reached out, okay, had the guy Chris, on the podcast. Chris definitely does not have. Well, it, okay. well, no, well, he might still because this one is uh, was not official. Oh, I uh, had the guy had the guy on. Um, everything kind of went good, and then the story started changing. The law got involved. Um, the tribes got involved. So allegedly, and I never, I guess I, I probably don't have to say allegedly because I think he got busted for it, but. Um, it sounds like it was poached, like took it off a, a, a dump site maybe um, on reservation land, Red Lake Res. was a massive, okay. massive bear. And it ju it's just unfortunate because it is such a, a such a specimen. But so, yeah, I mean, I was contacted by the DNR. They asked if I, they could get like a copy of the audio. And I was like, absolutely, like you know, we, you know, would you give us that audio, or do we have to subpoena you? I'm like, no, dude, I'll, you, I'll give it to you. Like, I, I have nothing to hide. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just talking to the guy, you know. Right, right. Um, God, I can't think of his name right now. Well, not that it matters. I don't need to put him on blast. Sure, but, sure, sure. Um, yeah, so I ended up just taking that episode down. God, it was such a emotional roller coaster because I was so jacked. It was really early in the in the podcast, so I was like. I, I'd scooped the story. I was the first guy. I was the first person this guy had talked to. Like he hadn't talked to any outdoor magazines, nothing yet, you know. And I had the new state record bear and the hunter. Like this is awesome. This is gonna be good for the the brand and the podcast. Yeah, good and, content. Yeah, yeah, and then days later, it's like I think I'll take that down. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so that part kind of sucked, but what are you gonna do? But yeah, so there are some there are some big bears like that. So he he very well might. I mean, I could, you know, I could just look it up right now. Um, going off and, of that, though. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Just, just, I wanted to be, be clear, too, when I said I'm done killing bobcats. The only reason, the only reason I do that is because I really don't have a good way to transport them. You know, like, Bob, that's, that's the only reason. Like, if I'm at home and I call a bobcat in, it's going to be dead meat. You know, for a place where I'm near my own truck and I can transport the critter and, and save the fur or sell the fur or keep the skull, that's a different story. But when I'm out in the wilderness and I just, you know, when I'm out trucking, I, I just don't really have a good way to go to transport it. So I just wanted to be clear. I'm not at all against killing bobcats. Like, I want bobcats for sure, but that's just that. What was it? What's your buddy's name? Uh, Chris Lee. No, that's not what it says here. Now, but this doesn't say weight. This is this is going off of like actual skull measurements. Okay. Um. Oh wait, no. This says this is. Never mind. This is uh. Oh, uh, see, it's the firearm state record holder for a bear shot in 2017, measured 22 and 10 sixteenths. 
Jesse also shot a 685-pound, 615-pound field dress black bear while using a muzzle loader in Wadena County. Oh, okay, okay. Green score 21.916, which is currently the largest bear taken by a muzzle loader. Um, so if I if I know Chris, he would have probably done all the measurements himself, and unless he thought he had a chance at being in the books, he wouldn't have registered it. So he must have been he must have been shy of, you know, getting in the books or something. What is this? When was this now? I got another one here. It says Minnesota hunter bags huge seven hundred plus pound bear, October two thousand seventeen. Uh, Jan Johnson. Hunter from Rozo. John Johnson's Bruin officially, unofficially weighed in at 721 pounds, possibly making it the largest recorded bear taken by a hunter in state history. Hmm. Well, that's still a big one, though. Anytime you're in, I mean, 600 pounds. I mean, anything 500 and above, like, that's an exceptional beast. Like, I mean, that's huge. It's such a big animal. And then to go six and then 700 pounds, just, man, that's unbelievable. I would be super happy. Like, in my, in my if I go hunting, like, a 300-pounder is, like, that's what I would be really happy, really satisfied with a 300, you know, that 3, 350 range. Like, that would be. Think about that just for a second. Like, <laughs> we're used to shooting, you know, 150-pound deer or whatever. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, I fucking shoot 30-pound coyotes. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Those are tiny, you know, compared to, and you're talking about a 300-pound a bear, and it's like, that is just unworldly to me. Bonkers, you know? right? And then think about the guys that go brown bear hunting. And they're well, oh, you know, well north of 1,000 pounds. <laughs> well, yeah. At least for the for the uh, coastal browns anyways. You know, inland, inland grizzlies aren't, or inland brown bears, i.e. grizzlies, don't get quite that big, but they're still... 800, you know, or 6 to 800 pounds. Still not little. Yeah, they're they're pretty cool. Right, right. I don't know. Um so do you plan on doing lion hunting? Like is that something now that's kind of like refueled your fire? Like are you going to actually like make mm. plans to kind of do this? I, I I have only pursued mountain lion one time in my life, and I talked to a, a, a good buddy of mine, Jacob Call, Orinoco, Minnesota. I talked to him about it yesterday, and, you know, I told him the same thing I'm going to tell all you guys. Like, I just, I'm not going to shoot a cat out of a tree. Like, it's just not going to happen. Like, I need to hunt the animal on my own. Like, if I, if I do spot and stock or call it in, I'll kill it. And that's the only way I'm going to have any sort of satisfaction. Sure. You know, from from yeah. the whole event. That's just my style. That's it. Like I, if you go out and and shoot one out of a tree because the dog's got it up there, like that's cool. I want to hear the story. Like congratulations. You know, I just don't want to do that myself. That's all. Yeah, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, people get on my ass about like I haven't killed a wild turkey yet, and they're like, well, just shoot one with a shotgun and be done with it. And it's like, but I don't have any interest in that, because like I, I've seen seven year olds do that. Like that's not. That's not a challenge. I get it's fun. I get it, you know, they come in and whatever, all that. But it's like, I'm not so jonesing to get a turkey on my wall or in my freezer that 
by any means by any means necessary. So what I've been doing is I've been trying to get it with my archery equipment on public okay. land. And when I lived close to Carlos Avery, I was that's what I was hunting. It was like probably the most pressured public land in the state. So it's like I pretty much I pretty much picked under- the hardest way possible and I have yet to be successful. So so it makes it more fun. Like, you're going to appreciate the one you get that much more. Right. It's almost opposite of what they say. They're like, well, just get that one off your back. In fact, like, it, it probably worked the opposite. Once I got one the hardest way, and then if I wanted to keep hunting, then I probably would just go, okay, I did that. Now let's just let's just go turkey hunting to turkey hunt. You know, like, yeah. what am I going to do to top that? Like, <laughs> But it's interesting over the years that I did it, because I did it for like three years straight, and I really learned a lot. And like what to do, what not to do. And basically what I've found out is like, you need to almost hunt them like deer. They're so like, I watched this hen, like I was, I had my decoys out, had a pop-up blind or I had a decoy up and I hear the birds, they're working towards me. I'm doing some really light calling, just some hen clucks. And this hen comes into the clearing. She pokes her head out. She looks right at that decoy and didn't hesitate. Just turn the other way. Took off running, and every other and every bird what went the with hell? her. Yeah, yeah. Dude, well, that that is not the turkeys I know about. No, exactly. <laughs> that little like, bitch. Yeah, she. The gig was up. You know, I wasn't moving. I was in the blind. The the decoy, like that that bird knows what decoys are, like a hundred percent. It's like, oh shit, okay. And then I tried hen decoys instead of because I had like the strutter up, you know. I'm like, well, let's try a hen decoy. That didn't, and all the birds that came in gave it a wide berth, like walked around it. Um, like they, they, they act weird with the calling. Again, this is just my, I could, this could just be me. Maybe I'm shitty at calling, but, um, what I found is that, you know, like I see the trails they use and the one year that I was almost successful, I just didn't get a good, clear, clear enough path to, to let an arrow fly you just set up on a trail and wait because you know they're coming by there at some point in time in that day. Yeah. You just have to, they're coming down that trail. And then, and I get it. It's not like the stereotypical turkey hunting. Like the, the, you know, these three, the, the time I was almost successful, there was three toms together and they were coming down the trail. Yeah. And they weren't all, they weren't all fluffed up and strutting and giving, spitting and drumming, you know, putting on the show. They weren't doing any of that because they weren't approaching a decoy. They weren't, showing off they were just traveling you know they were looking for hens or whatever and Mm -hmm. you know that's that's what gets most turkey hunters fired up is that whole um, you know that whole show but at least in my limited experience in in carlos avery good luck with that like they (laughs) they seem to be pretty wise so yeah, yeah, because they're getting they're getting super educated, like they're getting yeah. a PhD in people, you know. Yeah, I I would I would dare say that those are probably the most challenging turkeys to hunt, like anywhere. So if like that yes. would be that would See, be a challenge you're, for you're somebody. If you, think fun. You, if you think you're a good turkey hunter, caller, all that, I then I challenge you to go do it on Carl Saver and and, yep, and yep. get back to me. Like I actually would enjoy you being sex, successful in doing it the way you like to do it. Like you can set out decoy and call them in and you can work with them and you can be successful at that. I want to hear about it because again, my limited experience and I'm definitely yeah, not yeah. saying I'm good at it. Like that's probably part of the problem. But with that being said, my, 
it'd be impressive if you got it done. Say that last part again. I said it would be impressive if you got it done. Like if somebody oh, did sure, that, sure. got out. I would. I'm like I'm in their camp. Like I'm rooting for them. Not rooting for them to fit, go in there and be like, see, I told you they're hard. No, go in there, be successful. Tell me about it, how you did it. Like that would be. I'm like that would be awesome because it sounds like a challenge to me from what I my lived experience, anyways. It's and, like, and you and I, you and I share the opinion of you know shooting with with a shotgun just doesn't it doesn't feel right to me. It's such a huge target, and you're shooting it with a shotgun. Shotguns are 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 made to shoot birds out of the sky that aren't 20 pounds and you're taking your shotgun out into the woods to shoot a bird that's 20 pounds and it's not even flying well now guys are now guys are are getting that tss shot and now they're shooting birds at 100 yards yeah and they're paying 50 dollars per shell well there's 10 bucks a shell because i bought a box (laughs) too much i bought a box (laughs) for swans Okay. Okay. Well, I'm a, okay. I'm, a, I'm a firm believer. I, I shot once and harvested once, and that yeah, swan. Did I no did I tell that, that story? Meant... My swan from North Dakota. I don't recall. That thing was out there, bro. So, me and my buddy Mike. I don't Mike, think you did tell me this story. Okay, we'll tell, we'll wrap we'll wrap this one up with this story. So, three of us had swan tags this year for North Dakota. It was me, Mike, and Austin. And, you know, we really wanted to, I really wanted to tag a swan. I hadn't, hadn't tagged a tundra yet. Uh, I'm one of the few people that have tagged a trumpeter, however. Um, that's another story. I don't know if I've told you that story. But anyways. No, I, you, the only story I remember is you tagged a swan, I believe it was in North Dakota, that was not a legal harvest. And you reported yourself, basically. And the DNR said... Oh, there aren't any of those here. Yes. <laughs> so just take it and go home. Right. So that's what you did. That's what I hey, did. Hey, man, you didn't. Yeah. You did what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, yeah. It was that was like way west too. Like, if you look on like a a trumpeter swan population map, I was about a hundred hundred and fifty miles outside of the extreme western border of of a, a trumpeter. So there's no yeah, reason that's, that's, to even you see a swan, swan you see a swan you shoot me. it. Yeah, yeah, so that's yep. so I had yet yep. to shoot a an actual tundra. So I needed to, you know, I was and I had bought, I think this is like my fourth tag that I've had. Um okay. so I was really jonesing to 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 get one. And so when we were driving around scouting for snows and stuff, we were always keeping our eyes open and honestly we weren't really seeing much for swans. And then we did find this one lake that wasn't locked up because when we went most everything was frozen. And it had a fair amount of swans on it. So like, oh, let's keep this in mind. Maybe if things work out, we can run back here and try to fill our swan tags. And that's how it worked out. We had a good morning in the in the snow goose field. So Mike and I like, let's boogie back there. There's some ducks around. Maybe we can shoot some ducks too while we're there. And then I'll have that, you know. So I gave him a TSS. I took a TSS. And so earlier that trip, we were, I was talking to my buddy Flotty about TSS. And he's like, you know what? People don't realize, like, like the ballistics of it, you know, how far you can shoot out. And we were going Flotty from yeah. Minnesota waterfallers back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. What the hell is his actual name? Why do you still call him Flotty? Cause that's what everybody calls him Flotty. That's what he goes. Oh. He answers the phone. Flotty. Um, really? his, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, Jeremiah is his real name. Sure. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, but Flotty was, we were talking about TSS and, um, 
one and something he said is like, oh, I never really understood that. So you know, like you can take some tall shots even just with like regular ammo, right? Like always wait till like those snows are straight up. And I've made some hellacious tall shots, you know, 70, 80 yards, right? Okay. And it okay. sounds like bullshit, but it's not. You know, I have witnesses, and you get lucky. It, I'll be the first one to say it's a well, lucky no, shot because you, you, you bring. Totally do. Like if, if your one BB hits him in the yep. elbow, or you know what I mean? Yeah, you can bring him down that way. But the the times that I've done it, and I've done it like two, three times, it's always what I call the power button. Like you just you get that one lucky BB goes in the chin straight out the top of the head. You just brain box. Oh them, yeah. And they just fall straight out of the sky. Well, <laughs> right. they usually helicopter because their wings get locked out, and they just helicopter down. It's pretty pretty yeah. awesome. It's a fun. It's a fun. Thing. But then I've taken those shots when they've been out, but they're never successful. And the reason is we don't really think about it. like got to think about it almost like rifle terms. Like that shot is dropping while it's going. So yeah, they're they're out there ways, but they're also up. And so maybe they're eighty yards out. And you're like, well, I've killed them at eighty, or I've killed them at seventy, but they're out. So when you're leading them normal your shot is dropping below them. So you got to kind of yeah, lob you it. almost have to you hold for lob elevation. It. Mm-hmm. So right. we set up in this lake, and there's some ducks uh, training back and forth, and we were waiting. We just get set. Like, we weren't even sitting in our spot very long, and all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, swans, swans are coming. They're, like, flying right at us, a pair of them. I'm like, oh, shit. So I'm ejecting shells, getting trying to fumble my pocket, get that TSS in there. I get it in there, and I, we pull up on these, and now they're kind of veering off. Like they, they what were kind size? Of, what size shot was it? Uh, I had, oh, what was it? Seven and a half, I think. Perfect. Yeah, seven and a half. I'm pretty sure. Perfect. It's like the big. It was the biggest TSS I could find. I think they had they had seven and a half and nine, and so I grabbed the, okay. the seven and a half. And, and I know uh, a lot of people are just going to be like, "No, that's not even close to big enough." But this <laughs> no. this TSS stuff is not so I from done, this world, right? So I'm in I'm I'm in shields or not shields. I was in uh, um oh shoot L and M I think yeah I was in L and M fleet spy. And I'm looking at this box, and it's $50. And I'm like, <laughs> do I pull the – do I do I do this, you know? And so I'm, I'm on my phone because all they had was 7.5 and, and 9. And so I'm like, is 7.5 or what size TSS for Swan? I put in Google. 50 bucks for a box of 10 and probably. 50 bucks for a box of 5. And so oh I'm looking God. I'm looking through <laughs> oh – I'm looking through my search results, and I find somebody that's talking about um, – they shot a swan with uh, TSS, and it was seven and a half. And they showed pictures of the wing, and the wing is just broken. Like, yeah, yeah. One BB hit it and snapped their main wing. I was like, okay, I'm sold. I'm like, okay, that's all I needed to know. So I grabbed that. And, box and there of seven are shotgunners out there. There are shotgunners out there who are killing coyotes with number nine shot TSS. Now, nothing wants to survive more than a coyote. Like they're extremely hard to kill. But coyotes don't have the fucking body armor that swans do. So that's seven and a half shot. That's perfect. Yeah. So it was crazy. Wait, they're coming at us. Like, I mean, uh, not so if, like, you're looking at a clock, right? When we first saw them, they were not even full, like, 12 o'clock. They'd be, like, halfway, like, almost 1 o'clock. Not quite 1 o'clock. So they're coming straight at us. And then they start to veer off to our right a little bit. Our right there, left. And I'm like, I'm, I'm trying it because I just want to see how this TSS performs. And how so, far did you say you think? I'm pretty sure this bird was 80 yards. Okay. Out, okay. out and up. Like, I mean, he may yep. not have been 80 yards up, but he was definitely 80 yards out. 
or these sure. two, I should say. So I'm shooting at the one on the right. My buddy's shooting at the one on the left. Is that how it was? I could be wrong. We may have actually – I think we both shot the left one because it was the closest one. Um, so we both pull up and we both shoot, and it falls. I was like, no fucking way. But as as before I shot, I remembered that conversation with Flotty, and I was like, I need to account for a drop. And so I held it above his head and then led – and followed, and I put a big fucking healthy lead on this bird because these birds are moving. Like they're they're oh, big birds, sure. but they're deceptive. They're moving fast. Like well, I know because their wings are barely moving. Yeah, yeah, but you. But can, they're you, fucking flying. Yeah, thirty five miles an hour. You I, know. Yeah, I put I put like I don't know, hard to say. It's all instinctive, but probably a good six, seven foot, maybe an eight foot lead on it. Like that I, I got way out in front of it. Yeah. But then I was probably up. Uh, maybe a foot because I didn't know I'm guessing at this point I've never lobbed a shotgun I don't know what the yeah. exact ballistics are what the drop is at 80 yards I just guessed and sure enough I hit that thing and it did it broke a wing brought him down so mm-hmm. um, he had a couple other holes in it but that was what brought it there was nothing lethal other than that wing and then I had to ch- okay. go chase him down okay. and um, yeah, that was a story too. I had to paddle the kayak all across this big lake, and I was like, "Where did he go?" I thought he fell and kind of swam to the right back in this little bay, and I got there. I'm like, "He wasn't in there." I'm like, "How does a big ass white bird hide?" And so I'm like scanning the shoreline. I'm like, "Where the fuck did this thing go?" And all of a sudden, I see him on the far east side of the lake. I'm closer to the west side. I see this motherfucker climb up out of the water and start walking up into a like CRP. I was like, oh, fucking hell no. Oh, start paddling like a madman. I'm just sweating balls. And then I finally get there. I come out, you know, and I don't burn a TSS to put them down. I had, a, I had thankfully had some normal waterfall shots. So threw one of those in there and then put them down with a headshot. But, yeah, and it that wing snapped in half. Like, that's just okay. incredible to me. That's that's not a small bone to break at that distance. No, and so I probably should have put even a bigger lead on it because if I hit him in the wing and that head's sticking out another 18 inches, right? No, probably longer than that. Swan's neck is probably closer to two feet. So yeah. for a headshot, I probably should have went eight, ten-foot lead, you know? Yeah. And it was kind of hard to say who shot. You know, it was like we both shot pretty much at the same time. But the fact that I lobbed it and he didn't, you know, I asked him, I said, hey, did you – where were you aiming? You know, and he's like, well, I, you know normal shot or whatever i said yeah i lobbed it out there so chances are it was there's no way to fully fully know yeah but also also at that distance your pattern has opened up oh for sure a ton yeah for sure you know so you it doesn't have to be a precise shot plus with seven and a half shot you have a lot of pellets, a lot there to work of pellets in there a lot of pellets in there yeah and right. not so throw out shade. at that distance you're your 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 pattern is still fairly dense. You know <laughs> and, what I mean. And Michael does listen to this podcast, so not to throw shade at Michael, but I had been shooting really good that trip on everything. Okay, okay. So the chances were on. really good. It was me. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. <laughs> and there wasn't any controversy. Like he didn't, he didn't like. And for one, I put in the elbow grease to go get it. So. Is my oh swan. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was his first swan tag. That's like my fourth. It's like no, that's my bird. Damn it! <laughs> and I has, I still have the head in my freezer because I wanna. I gotta. In fact, just don't tell the story. I forgot it's in there. I need to. Now that I got some time, I need to clean that up. I want to euro that one too. That's gonna, mm-hmm. that's gonna be pretty cool. Big old giant heads on those things. Those are cool birds. But yeah, that was. So I'm a. 
firm believer in that TSS, but is that the weird thing with turkeys, right? Hunters have all these weird, weird rules, like shooting a flying turkey is frowned upon within the turkey hunting community, bird hunting community. Shooting, I thought it was illegal for quite a while. It's not illegal. It's just okay. some people would say unethical. I don't think okay. so. I don't think okay. so. Shooting him out right. of a, shooting him out of a tree is definitely frowned upon, even though generally they're not in trees. You know, they roost in trees, but during the day they're not usually in trees. That doesn't really yeah right doesn't really happen. But but yet yeah, you go to grouse, and it's frowned upon to ground pound grouse and you're supposed to shoot them on the wing it's like what are we doing well, here you're still I learned, my, I learned my lesson on that i'm a ground pounder i don't give a shit dude me too i am now <laughs> give a after shit. after i ate the first rough grouse i was like i'm shooting as many of these on the ground oh, I, i'm not being yeah. ethical anymore no, i love the food so much well in a, in a way you know we say it's That's my favorite game bird we say uh, ethical right but if you really critically think about it, what they what they mean is it's more challenging. And as far yeah, as yeah. ethics of putting a animal down cleanly and efficiently, you are far better ground pounding them. Like that's your better shot. You know, right. the, mo- like, the most humane. To me, it's way yeah. To me, it's it. the most most ethical. Your less chance you're gonna wing it, and then good luck finding it if that fucker's still alive. If you don't have a dog. Oh yeah. You know, right, so right. it's like. I would argue that it's far more ethical to actually shoot that thing on the ground where you know you're gonna get it. You know you're gonna get a good shot. You know you're gonna find that and retrieve that animal than a wing shot through the brush. I think it's behind that cedar tree. I don't know. I'm just gonna touch off a couple shots and then stomp around the woods and hope to find a grouse carcass. Like, how is that more <laughs> ethical? Like, and then be like, well, you should have a dog. Well, so if I don't have a dog, I can't go grouse hunting by your rules. Fuck off, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just. It's silly. And I get so but conversely though, I will say that a flying a flying turkey is probably not as ethical for that same reason. You know, like they're big birds and you got to take them down effectively. Now you got to put in lead and all that stuff into account. You are better off. I do I think it is more ethical to shoot them on the ground not flying. With that said, yes. Oh, if, yeah. If that's yeah. your shot and you're confident in it, I'm not going to shame you for doing it. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've heard plenty of stories. People shooting them with a a bow, the arrow zips in them, and that fucker runs off, and they got to trail it like a deer, but they don't leave a very very big blood trail. So yeah, they, right. they can be Good hard luck to find. Tracking that if there's no <laughs> snow on the ground. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. So, you know, it is what it is, but. All right, dude, we've, we've talked for an hour. Let's wrap this one up. This was good. Uh, this was fun. Man, I'm jealous. I want to see a lion in the wild so bad. I'm never – I mean, this. it's just like a I, – I've been processing it, and it's just so incredible that I got that experience, you know? That's awesome. I'm happy for you. That, that's, that's, God, that's, that's pretty epic. You're in, I think you're in a very small minority of people that – especially not like targeting it. You know, it's one thing, like if you're a lion hunter and you're running dogs, yeah, you've probably seen a bunch of lions, but people that are just like going out doing other things and then seeing a lion, like that's, that's, that's a pretty special moment for sure. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, you. and I was, you know, I was predator calling, so I was, you know, sure. I don't know. I just, yeah. I, I, yeah, I kind of got scrambled eggs for brains. Like, right. like I said, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still processing the whole thing. Like it's just, 
Yeah, was so he amazing. was he bedded there? And then you start calling, and that's when he stood straight Correct. up like a fence post. And then you know, and, and is that why he just laid back down where he right. was? Because right. that's where he started. Or did I call him in, and that's where I finally seen him? And then he's like, "Well, it's sunny and warm here. I I don't know." Yeah, who knows? <laughs> but even even the calling though, even if he didn't like bring him in, the fact that you got him up on his feet to go like. I wonder what the heck is going on over there when he wasn't really in hunter mode too. I mean, there. I don't think For there's. Sure. I don't. That's that's still saying something, you know. Sure. So sure. You got that cat to react one way or the other. It sounds like so. Yeah. Pretty yes. cool, dude. Pretty cool. So, uh, where? What are your uh, holiday plans? Are you headed back home? Are you still traveling on the road? Well, I have I have ten days off for coyote calling under the big moon. Uh, but the problem there is a there's a, a large problem. Um, we don't have any snow um, now. Typically, <laughs> typically under this condition, what I would do is go to North or South Dakota. Right now, North Dakota does have snow. However. The big moon falls right in line with Christmas this year, right in the smack dab middle of it. Mm. So I have only a couple of days to hunt before Christmas and then two days of Christmas and then a couple of days to hunt after Christmas. And that's not enough time for me to run out to North Dakota where I hunt, where the snow is right now. I mean, that's a six hour drive, six, seven hour drive to get right, there. Yeah. I'm not going to drive out there to hunt for, for one night or two nights before I have to come back. You know, so like, in order for me to do any hunting during this big moon, I have to do it locally, and there's no snow. So I'm not exactly sure. I haven't yet decided what I'm going to do, but I have the December 21st through the 29th off. All right, all right. Very so nice. I'm doing Christmas for two days, and I'm going to try to hunt at home. There's some, we got but, some snow up here um, overnight. There's it's a dusting though, like. You can still see okay. the grass poking through, but it's white enough. I bet you'd see something, but there, we don't well, have like big open fields and shit up here. One thing that is very successful for us is that if the ground is brown, if we got snow at some point, we do what is called calling white ice. So your your ponds and your frozen oh, lakes. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, You yeah, go yeah, sit yeah. on the side of the. Oh, they got like a sore yeah. thumb coming across there, you know? Yeah. Yep. So if I can find some white ice locally, I'll be in good shape. But I don't know if there is any white ice west of the metro. Yeah, you know, there might be like like the ice fishermen are having a, issues this year because the ice is not the good. And we had that rain, and you're having to go a little bit north to find walkable ice, like safe ice. Now some of your smaller, you know, marshes and that are probably better off, you know, because they're going to be shallower. Not going to be mm-hmm. they would have iced up earlier so probably have another inch or two on them but yeah i don't know i'd, I'd like to I've, say like I've, keep me keep me posted or i'll join you but my without having any plans suddenly i have a ton of plans so i like i'm it'll be hard pressed for me to find a day to run out and do it but sure sure i've, I've got landowners too kind of letting me know hey phil just up north landowners like randall little falls i've got a bunch of properties up there and they're like yeah every time we get snow up here we're seeing tracks like you're welcome to come up anytime oh, like sweet. okay yeah that's cool. but but the thing is you know i just talked to craig one of the landowners yesterday he's like yeah we still have about an inch here but it's going to be gone by the time you start hunting and i'm i'm looking at the radar or i'm looking at the forecast and it's totally going to be gone like yeah. there's fucking there's rain in the forecast yeah yeah that's it's it's a crazy mild deer el nino as they say that's what it, yeah that's it's it been a while be since unfolding. we've had it's been a while since we've had a uh brown christmas but this isn't the first one in my lifetime i vividly remember no, no, a brown christmas not. i think in the 
mid nineties, I want to say somewhere okay. around there. I remember, um, a brown Christmas, but yeah, so it does happen from time to time. I w- I'm not so like so mad at the lack of snow, but um, I am. I would take some colder temperatures to make some ice. That 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 I wouldn't be. Although it's nine degrees up here today, so we're making ice up here. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyways. I'm one of the people who I'm one of the people who complains that we don't get winter. I live in Minnesota because I yeah. love winter no, I and love, winter activities. I love winter too. And if this too. bullshit keeps up, I'm gonna have to move north <laughs> so I can get into the snow. It's just one season. Uh, it's. Here's the thing, though. I'm not too mad at it right now, only because I want it to get colder first before it snows. Because the last two years, we had massive slush problems all season long. Because you get some ice, not enough, like 8 inches, 8, 10 inches, and then we were getting dumped on by a huge snowstorm, and all that weight pushes on that ice. Water seeps up through the cracks. You get that layer of uh, slush. And no matter how cold it gets, especially if you keep getting snow, which we did, it just insulates it, and you never get rid of that slush, and it just creates a monumental pain in the dick of getting around and access and everything else. It's just not good. So this year, is if if we can at least get some more colder weather, because now that we don't have snow and the lakes are locked up, now we can build really good ice, get, get 12, 14 inches before we get snowed on, then it's not a problem, and we won't have those slush issues. But it's, it's not getting cold enough. We're having highs right around freezing or even slightly above freezing. It's like, or not even slightly, 40 degrees. It's like, what the hell? So, but yeah, up here, at least up here for everybody listening, if you're looking for ice or has it, like I was on Pelican last night. I checked some spots. It varies a lot, so you got to be careful. Like it was six. I didn't find any like dangerous ice, but six inches was the minimum I found, and then all the way up to 11. So that's a, that's a wide range of ice thicknesses for sure. I was actually thinking about calling the land manager at Buck Hill and Powder Ridge and Afton Alps to see if they could close that down for me because they make snow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like close that down for me, you know? Like here, I'll, I'll give you guys a hundred bucks. <laughs> I don't think a hundred bucks is quite going to tempt them to close down their skiing operation. <laughs> and then, and then I'll be like, you know. And then you can put a sign up that says, "Yeah, yeah, we we actually had the, our property cleared of predators recently, so right, it's right. it's safe. like our ski hill is safe now." <laughs> well, I wish I wish you the best of luck with that. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Not quite sure. A hundred bucks is going to be tempting. Uh, Where there's a will, there's a way. <sighs> but I, you know what? I like where your head's at, though. <laughs> I like I like where your head's at, and you could purchase your own snowmaking equipment and just like set it out on a on a you know on a big marshy lake you know you could drill drill a hole and just pump that lake water and just make your own snow right where you want (laughs) it's like the ice eater version for predator calling dang we're we're you and i are a good team if we put our noggins together (laughs) we can accomplish anything that's right yeah, that's there are no problems what only wait what is the saying i don't know maybe there isn't a saying there's no impossibilities, only problems that have yet to be solved. Something I don't know. Trying to come up, sounds good to me. Trying to come up with something. I don't know. <laughs> no, that's that's. I think you nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Anyways, but all right, all right, Phil, I'm gonna let you get going. I got some stuff to got to hit the road here in a little bit, but uh, this was good. This is a good one. I I enjoyed that story immensely. That was great. You know what we should do? Yeah. Let's do a call out. Anybody listening right now? Uh, or first of all, thanks for listening. But let's do a Q&A episode if we can get enough questions to come in. So Ooh. either either hit up uh, Phil 
on Facebook Messenger. Send him some questions. You can reach out to me on Facebook or whatever, and uh, or whatever social media platform I'm on, and send me some questions. And we'll just do let's do like a ten a ten question Q and A. I think that'd be fun. That that that's a really good angle. I like that a lot. So there's a call to action. And most times I do a call to action. My listeners just sit on their hands. So get off your lazy ass <laughs> and, and do it. Find us on social media. Follow us if you haven't already. And then uh, shoot us some questions. And uh, we'll, we'll compile a list. And On that topic, I have, I have had a little bit of, you know, chatter about this podcast. Okay, good. On my good. end. Good. Yeah, yeah. So. All right. Outstanding. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap her up. Whatever your passion, pursue it full scale. Later, folks.